two mountains. I find in this passage two mountains. These two mountains are similar in some ways, but they're very different. When God took his people out of Egypt, he brought them into a wilderness. He parted the Red Sea to get them out, and then he closed it back up on the Egyptian army, ransoming his people from the strongest army of the world of that time. But now what? You got them out of Egypt. Now, now what? Well, he was getting them to the promised land, but before he got them to the promised land, he needed to do something else first. See, once God redeems anybody from slavery, whether it's slavery in Egypt for the Israelites or whether it's slavery to sin, before he, before he brings you to the promised land, there's some work he needs to do in you. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you are saved, you are, well, what, what's, the, what's the phrase for someone who you like but's got some problems? They're a fixer-upper. <laughs> you are a fixer-upper. And the people of Israel were a fixer-upper. They were certainly fixer-uppers. And so God had to fix them. So what God did before he could bring them into the promised land was he had to establish with them a covenant. And he does that on Mount Sinai. He brings them to Mount Sinai and he tells them, this is my law. In fact, if you look back, this isn't in the PowerPoint, Mitchell, but if you look back in Exodus chapter 19, you'll see God bringing them to Sinai. It says that, that, um, it says that on the third new moon, so the beginning of the third month, after he brought them out of Egypt, on that day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Now he goes down in, in a couple verses later. Moses goes up to him and God tells him, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You've seen what I've done. You've seen my works. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the, all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, God says, now that I've taken you out of slavery, you have no identity. And it's at Mount Sinai that he gives them this identity, but he doesn't just give them an identity. He also identifies himself in the process and the result, well, I call it the mountain of fear. And the reason is because when you read this story, you see just how scary it is. The scene that they faced with was dangerous. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. Do you hear the fear of those words? Do, do you hear how scary this situation is? When they come to this fire, do they come, they come to this mountain, it's on fire. Smoke is billowing up. You've seen uh, pictures or video of volcanoes. Imagine being right in front of one. That's the sight that's before them. It's covered in smoke. Flashes of lightning. The earth is quaking beneath their feet. This is dangerous. They could die. God is not a safe God. He is a good God, but he is not safe. We want God to be 
this gentle old man that you can just kind of sit in his lap and he wouldn't hurt a fly, but he might pick at you for making you eat one. (laughs) That'd be the kind of thing my grandfather would do. God isn't safe though. When you come into the presence of God, there ought to be part of you that's scared. It's dangerous to be in his presence. The Bible talks about all the thunders and lightnings and the cloud. It also mentions that there were very loud noises. In fact, um, to put it one way, the decrees that they heard were unbearable. And I don't mean unbearable like, oh, when's all this going to be over? I mean unbearable like, I, I, well, verses 19 and 20. The sound of a trumpet and a voice whose word made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, how God is speaking to them out of the mountain. And it says in verse 23, And soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, this is Moses talking, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of our God anymore, we shall die. They couldn't bear it because they knew they were guilty. They knew that this God before them was one to be feared. And so they beg and they plead, please, you go to God for us. You go up and you listen and you tell us what he says because we don't want to die. Verse 20 says they could not endure the order that was given. It was so, even if you touch the mountain, you were to be killed and not killed by touching you, killed by stoning. Because the fear was that if you touch the mountain and I touch you, now now I am going to die as well. Do you hear the unapproachableness of the moment? You can't get to God. You're separate. The mountain is corded off where you can't even touch it at its base. Not to mention go up and speak with God face to face. It was so bad Even the mediator himself, Moses, was trembling. A little bit later, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 9 that when God came down on this mountain and called Moses up to himself and he's giving Moses the words, the people down in the valley are starting to wonder, when's Moses coming down? Maybe God struck him dead. And so they decide to make a golden calf. And Aaron, Aaron fashions a golden calf from some of the jewelry that they brought out of Egypt. And then God says, Moses, you better get down there. They're already breaking my law. And when Moses comes down, he tells them, I was afraid for you. I was afraid of the anger of God toward you. Even the mediator was trembling. That's where verse 21 comes from in Hebrews 12. He says, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. I'm going to say something that's going to sound strange, And it may even make you gawk or gasp or immediately deny it, but it's absolutely true. If you do not come to Mount Mount Sinai, you cannot come to Mount Zion. Go back, Mitchell. Not there yet. I know. He's trying to follow my hints, but (laughs) if you do not come to a place of fearing God, you cannot come to a place of faith. Twas grace that taught my heart 
to fear. You're hunky-dory as is. What do I, why do I need to put faith in God? It is on Mount Sinai that the people of Israel realize just how much more holy God is than them. It is on Mount Sinai that the people of Israel learn to fear God. And you must come to your own Sinai. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be so scared that you're shaking in your boots physically. But you need to come to a place where you fear God. Because it's only when you go to Mount Sinai that you can be brought through the wilderness to Mount Zion. That's our second mountain, the mountain of faith. The scene on Sinai was dangerous. All sorts of dangers and and the risk of people dying. But at Mount Zion, it's completely different. The decrees, the, the scene is peaceful. Look, look in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, now, there is a real mountain called Zion that really is in Jerusalem. And if you go up that mountain, that's where the old Jebusite fortress was. And it was off of that mountain and a little bit to the north that the city of Jerusalem was built out by David and by Solomon. The temple was put there. All of that, all of that kind of built off of this Mount Zion. So Mount Zion's a real place. But when he's talking about it here, he's not just talking about the physical location. In fact, remember back in verse 18, he starts it with, you have come, not come to something that can be touched. So what we're comparing with here is not the physical Mount Zion so much as it is the heavenly Mount Zion. And he makes that clear. He says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather see a tinker tape parade of angels in glory than see flashes of lightning and thunder on a mountain that I can't even touch or I'm going to die. This is a much more peaceful scene, isn't it? In order to get here, though, you have to go through Sinai. Interestingly enough, if you look back at verse 18, there, there, that, 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 that phrase, you have not come, and then here, you have come, are in a tense that speaks of finality. In other words, this isn't just... Um, you don't go there, but you come here instead. This is a you go there, but you don't stay there. So though you need to come to fear God before you can experience faith, you don't stay in fear. We do not stay afraid of God because of the grace that He gives us, because of faith that we put in Him, because we learn that yes, God is dangerous to us. Yes, He is not safe for us, but He is so good and He looks out for our good that by the time we get to Mount Zion, we can look back on Sinai and say, thank you God for your grace shown to me a poor wretched sinner that I am. Because we don't deserve to come from Sinai to Zion. We don't earn the journey. We don't even make the journey in our own power. It's God that brings us from Sinai to Zion, just as he brought his people from Egypt into the promised land, through the wilderness wanderings, guiding them day and night. In the same way, God brings us through this life. And he brings us to quite a peaceful scene, the city of the living God. Do, do you notice the contrast between death and life? The heavenly Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a place where God put his name. 
Throughout the scriptures, we read God saying things like, the place where I have chosen to put my name there. The temple, the house where I have chosen to place my name. Do you know why he chooses the earthly Jerusalem to place his name there? So that we'll have a sense of what the heavenly Jerusalem is like. Just like the temple represents the reality of God's throne in heaven, so the city represents the reality of God's abode. And it's a scene of peace, not of danger. The decrees we heard at Sinai were unbearable. We couldn't stand. We, could, we, couldn't, we, di we didn't even want them to be spoken directly to us for fear for our lives. But the, the decrees we hear at Zion, they're joyful. Innumerable angels in festal gathering, don't you think they're singing praise? But it's not just them. Verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Do you know that word for assembly? That's, our, that's where we get our word church from. They're having church. And that church is praising God day and night. We'll be doing so for all eternity. And eventually, those of us who trust in Christ will be part of that choir. Notice this. Enrolled in heaven, kings had a list. They had two lists. <laughs> kind of Santa Claus, naughty and nice. Kings had a list of the people who were loyal. Who could I trust? Who is loyal to me? Who shows themselves to be friendly to my kingdom? Do you know right now, if you are a child of God, your name is written on a roll in glory. You are enrolled in heaven. And even though you may not take your space for a long period of time, you're guaranteed a spot there. And to God, you've come to God the judge of all. Now, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be joyful. Isn't God's judgment a terrible thing? Well, it, it is if you're not his child. But if you are his child, then it's not a terrible thing. You can look forward to the judgment of God, not because you're so awesome that God is going to be impressed with you, but because of what he's done in you, how he's changed you and shaped you. The decrees of a righteous judge before a righteous person or something to celebrate. You've also come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Not going to be made, not on the way to be made, already made, completely and totally. That's why you don't have to have fear. Your sin's already been judged. You've been cleansed of it. At Sinai, the mediator was trembling with fear. At Zion, the mediator is exalted. We have talked so much in this book of Hebrews about how much better Christ is. He's better than the law. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better, he's better than the Levitical priest. His covenant is better. His sacrifice is better. And now we've come to Jesus, our perfect mediator. Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. There was an old covenant at at Sinai, and it was really great at pointing out sin, but it couldn't handle dealing with sin. But Jesus, by this new covenant, call him Mr. Clean, because there's no dirt, no spot or blemish left after him. And his sacrifice, that sprinkled blood, do you remember the priest would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant on that Day of Atonement? He would sprinkle it on the veil. He would sprinkle other items even he would be sprinkled. When Christ sprinkles his blood, it speaks a much better blood 
a much better word than the blood of Abel. And who is Abel? So Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. They go out in the field. Cain has brought a sacrifice to God that God has rejected. Abel has brought a sacrifice that was accepted. They go out in the field. Cain kills Abel. And after it, God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And God says, what have you done? I hear his blood crying out to me from the ground. Abel's blood spoke of vengeance, of a need for judgment. Christ's blood speaks of redemption and grace poured out on those who deserve judgment. If you want to get to Mount Zion, you have to go through Mount Sinai. If you want to know the God who redeems you, you must first learn that you need redeeming. All of us are sinners, every single one of us. And if you don't think you are, then you are really, really blind. All of us are. We all need the redemption that God offers through Jesus Christ. We need his sprinkled blood to cleanse us from our sins. We need him to mediate between us and God because us in our unholiness, we are the ones at the foot of the mountain of Mount Sinai deserving to die. And when we realize that, and when we trust in God, he can bring us from the mountain of fear to the mountain of faith. He can bring us from being in need to lacking nothing. Have you been to the two mountains? Have you journeyed to Mount Sinai and recognized your need for a Savior? He wants to bring you to the mountain of faith. This morning, today, will you come? I'm going to be standing up here at the front. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. But first, I'm going to pray for you. Father, this is your time. This is your time. It's all your time, but especially now. Father, I pray that you would work in us, do the work that you want to do through us. Bring us to Mount Sinai that we may know our need for a Savior. Bring us to Mount Zion where we experience the redemption. Bring us from fear to faith. Do your work in us. In Christ's name, amen.